0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him in their neighbor. For whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Just before his ascension into heaven, Jesus is talking to the disciples in the f- waning chapters of the Gospel of John. And he's telling them what's going to come. He's telling them that there's going to be difficulty and there's going to be uh, all kinds of reasons to be discouraged. And he says, uh, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. It's so easy to be overwhelmed by the discouragement, by the difficulties we see in our society, and even, yes, sometimes in our church, and to feel as if there's nothing that we can do to affect change. It's so easy to be overcome by the discouragement that we face every day. But Christ, as he was about to ascend into heaven, said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. Behold, I am with you always. And so we have this hope um, that, that has been proven throughout history over and over again that Christ is with his church. And so for us to grab hold of that hope, what we must do is to look back, to remember, to see all of the times that God has been faithful to us throughout our history and say, if God was faithful to do it then, he will do it again today. This is one of the primary reasons that in the Catholic Church we look to the saints. We read their stories. We ask for their intercession. We see the way that they lived out the faith and lived out their vocations and the way that God met them in those moments. And we take hope from those. We say that if God did that for them, God will do that also for us. And in the lives of the saints, we have extraordinary examples of faithfulness to God's call. Today, we're going to be talking about a book called Women of Hope, Doctors of the Church. And we're going to be looking at Four of the doctors of the church, the four female doctors of the church, that's Saint Catherine of Siena, Saint Therese of Lisieux, Saint Teresa of Avila, and Saint Hildegard of Bingen, and we're looking at this book that gives basically a biography of each one of them, telling us about the difficulties that they faced, the the struggles that were going on, the discouragements that they faced in their world, uh, which are not so different from the things that we face today. And we're going to see in their response something particular. Uh, We see in the face of all of that discouragement, a faithfulness to live out the vocation to which they were called. And in that response of faithfulness to that vocation, they were able to not only provide for us today uh, a witness and and an example of how to live the faith, but they were able to provide direction and guidance and leadership for the church in their time that continues to reverberate into our time today. The book was written by Terry Polakovic. She was the co-founder of Endow. We've talked about them here on the show before, educating on the nature and dignity of women. That's what the acronym stands for. You can find out more about these groups at endowgroups.org. Terry served as the president of that organization from 2003 to 2015 and worked in nonprofit leadership for more than 30 years and is now retired. In 2010, she received the Pro Ecclesia et Pontificia Cross Award for the Church and Pontiff. Uh, she received that award from Pope Benedict XVI. In 2011, Terry was recognized as an outstanding Catholic leader by the Catholic Leadership Institute, and we are so pleased to have her here on the show today.
1: Thank you. It's wonderful to be here.
0: Terry, through your work with Endow, you are no stranger to the power and importance of women's voices in the church, both historically and in our present day. Talk to me about this book in particular. What drew you to write about these four women of hope, these doctors of the church?
1: Well, um, I had always been interested in in writing a book like this, uh, particularly because of my work with Endow. I be, I became familiar with different saints and particularly these saints in, you know, different articles and that type of thing. It was, I started it in 2020 during COVID. Um, and it was also, you know, around that time that there was more, I think that was our um, Cardinal McCarrick. I think he was yeah. happening around that time. I was just discouraged. I um, had worked for the church for 30 years and so you when you work for the church for 30 years, you see a lot of things. Um, and not all of them is good, but that seemed to be particularly bad. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, I was just feeling really down. And a friend of mine reminded me that I had once wanted to write a book uh, about these particular saints. And so we came up with the Women of Hope title. And I tried to make it a very hopeful message of just what these women did in the church. And what they did for the church, and um, and for all of us. So the actions of one man, or I don't know, you know, how many people, is really not enough to bring down the church. Mm-hmm.
0: The church has given us a, a number of doctors. Uh, the mm-hmm. title "Doctor of the Church" is put forward for someone who has uh, something extraordinary to teach us as the whole church. Mm-hmm. And there are these four. Women doctors who each teach us something very different. uh, Because you have, of course, Catherine of Siena, who uh, who came in at a a time of great division and actually influenced the papacy to return to Rome. Uh, You have Saint uh, Teresa of Lisieux, who lived her life, her very brief life, in the cloister. Uh, And so, the amount of maybe visible impact, as we would kind of think of of power or authority in the world, is kind of turned on its head with these women, and yet each of them made a profound and lasting impact, uh, not only on the trajectory of the church writ large, but also uh, on uh, on giving us an example of how to live out that vocation of actively participating in the life of the church.
1: Yeah, they're very interesting. And all these women are very different. I found it interesting when I was uh, doing research that Catherine of Siena on her deathbed, thought of herself as a failure, mm-hmm. and I mean, here she is, all these years later, and I mean, in the highest esteem, really, um, of almost anyone in the church. But she, nevertheless, she just worked and worked. She was involved in a lot of peacemaking activities. Pope Paul VI named her Doctor of Wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's her title. And you can see in everything she did, just the people that she interacted with, which were hundreds and hundreds of people. She had a huge following for everywhere she went. And um, she was a lay Dominican. So it was unusual for a lay Dominican single woman to be out traveling and speaking of God and speaking, you know, um, the hope in the world. She spoke to everyone. She spoke to the common man clear up to the pope she viewed them all as just people of god you know these are, and i and i think in the book i put that i put as someone who said she could talk for hours and hours and hours about god and um she i mean she's fascinating seriously they all are
0: mm-hmm. you mentioned that Catherine of Siena was named Doctor of Wisdom. And each of these, you start with a little introduction about them. So with St. Teresa of Avila, you, you call her a woman of prayer. St. Catherine of Siena, again, the woman of wisdom. St. Therese de Lisieux, the woman of love. And St. Hildegard of being the woman of consequence. So I mm-hmm. want to go over each of those. Specifically, we have these four doctors of the Church as, as examples, as— um, maybe even encouragement or nudges reminding us in this day and time what it is that we're called to. So can you, maybe starting with Hildegard of Bingen, you gave her the title, Woman of Consequence. Uh, What can we learn from her in this day and age to help us more fully embrace the call of Christ in the church?
1: Okay, well, Hildegard of Bingen Um, I think she, I believe she was like six or eight years old. She was the youngest of 10 children. Her parents sent her to study under a woman um, who then in turn uh, wanted to go into a, a, a cloister, a Benedictine cloister, and she took Hildegard with her. And she lived, Hildegard lived with her, I don't know, 30 years or something. And eventually this woman died. Her name was Jutta, Jutta, and, um, and Hildegard had had lived behind the walls for, again, a 30, I, I don't remember, I don't remember exactly, but plus 30 years. And then she was called, the, the monastery that they founded had grown and um, it was really left to her. Well, they, they elected her as their superior. And so she went, I, I find this fascinating, she went from really um, a very close life to this just woman who basically just took on the world she um got her monastery going growing to the point that she needed to open other monasteries um what i guess i like most about her is i mean she's just a woman of possibility i mean she uh whenever no uh, someone told her no um within her own obedience, she found a way to do it. And, and they, there were men in the monastery, it was a Benedictine, um, and they, uh, they discouraged her on every turn, basically. At first, just because of not wanting to have a woman's monastery attached to them. And then once it began to grow, they needed that monastery. They needed the money and everything like that. And so then they were against it for that reason. But um I mean she she was adamant that she was going to start that monastery and even more adamant that she was going to leave that original monastery and start one of her own. And um and then she started another one down the line. But um I mean today she's most known for her music. Mm-hmm. Um you can still hear her music. Uh interestingly, she was when um Pope Benedict named her a doctor of the church. She wasn't even a saint of the church. She had actually been forgotten and um you know, when he um decided he was going to name her doctor of the church, he named her a saint the week before. in the people's eyes in Germany and other parts of the world, she was already a saint. but um he um made that you know decisive factor or whatever. But she, when, I mean, she did everything that no one in that world would have ever done. She went out and preached. She left her monastery. She became very public. She, um, in fact, she was, I mean, she was, it was a time during um, different um, heresies during the church. She would go in and correct the heresies. She she always took care of the women in her, her monastery. She had one underneath her who was particularly close to her. And that um, nun's mother did not want her, just wanted her to have a higher standard of living or whatever. Anyway, she succeeded in getting her out of Hildegard's monastery. But Hildegard kept going. I mean, she she had many sadnesses in her life, many things that were taken from her. But she just lived, um, she lived for God. And... And God also lived for her, in the sense that He, um, she was a mystic, and He, um, and God, Jesus—I always say Jesus, but I mean God the Father—gave her the gift of being able to see way into the future. She even, I think, made um, predictions of what was happening now in our culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, she could see everything, and in in light of that, she could see like like everything like how the plants grew how people um you know uh, uh, how to care for people you know medically how one thing that you know if i do something it affects you and then the other one you know she, it was just that god gave her the whole picture of the whole world and how it operated so in that way the world was her oyster because she knew what god had given her uh, others did not know and they got in her way all the time, but she, I mean, she prevailed.
0: One of the things these four women have in common uh, is they had an unwavering confidence in in God's presence and and that that God was with them in all that they were endeavoring to do. Uh, And the other thing that they all had in common was a great amount of resistance from everyone else about the things that they felt called to do. So taking that example, how do you see their effect on us today as women today continue? Uh, Men as well, because we also need to learn from these doctors of the church. We continue to face discouragement um, when— Maybe we feel called to do a thing in the church, and we we uh, we come up against all of the naysayers as to why that thing can't be done. Uh, so, how do we know that we are following the example of these wonderful doctors of the church in confidence of God, or uh, as opposed to just being maybe a little self assured and and uh, maybe prideful in our ideas? How do we get that balance of continuing to pursue what what is right? and then also weighing and judging and discerning whether or not that actually is the thing God's calling us to.
1: Right. Well, people ask me that a lot. We um, were starting new apostolates and that type of thing. I just encourage them to pray and pray and pray because you can be misled by your own excitement and you're going to be, have a hard crash if you mm-hmm. you are in that position. Um, also, another sure way that is coming from God is if you if you um, ex, uh, experience a lot of discouragement. We, in the very beginning, when we started in Dow, like things were going wrong all the time. I mean, it, it, I mean, it just every day there was something. The computer would break. We would be having a hosting a party and. You know, the name tags didn't print. I mean, just little stuff that needles you every single day. And I remember I was telling two um, religious sisters about this. And they're like, oh, perfect, perfect. It means it's authentic. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So I think that's to be expected. And and But what you have to have deeper in that, you have to have grit. You really do have to have grit. And you have to have the knowledge that, you're doing something for God because when you have the knowledge that you're doing something for God, you don't really fail. I mean, even if you only touch one person or Mm -hmm. even if you were the only person touched, you know, you don't fail. Uh, You never fail trying to do something good for God. But, um, you know, it's it's, uh, a, I quit like after 13 years, I was exhausted. I couldn't even get up in the morning. And so it's really hard work, you know, if you're setting out to um, make a difference, do something with God, that type of thing. One thing is, is that they all, all these women had someone on their side. Uh, In our case, we started in Dow in Denver and we had Archbishop Chaput. And so he even gave us uh, um, offices in the building of the Chancery. And so he was just a hundred percent supporter. So um, for me, that made me want to try harder. And um, for him, I know he thought, I'm putting my name out here. <laughs> he had better work. Um, but he, uh, we had some religious sisters of mercy who were teaching in our seminary there. And it turned out one of the sisters... Sister Prudence Allen was an Mm. uh, expert in Catholic feminism. Yes. So it all just kind of came together. So I'm saying basically you're going to have a lot of challenges, but there are going to be some really important things that come together. And that's just how it works. That even today, I know the women uh, who are running it and it's not, it's the same, you know, but they, I mean, they are doing beautiful work today.
0: (laughs) How do you discern between whether the discouragement that's coming is, is a signal that maybe you need to back away from something or whether that's the, the proof that things are going right and you need to persist. And I'm thinking again uh, along the lines of Saint Teresa of Avila, who all of her efforts to reform the order were resisted by all the people in power, uh, to the point where she was, I think it suppressed at one point and she, She sat under that and she received that until such time as as uh, in prayer, until such time as she was restored. But at what point uh, do you say, you know, maybe all of this resistance is from God versus all of this resistance means that I need to continue and persevere?
1: You know, I think it's just a gut level thing. I never ever thought the resistance was from God. Um, I mean, it, it... we were lucky to have um, received like the the fruits of the apostolate right away. Women were enjoying the studies, that type of thing. And they were learning and, and their families were changing and that type of thing. So that's a blessing. Some people never see the fruits of their labor. But I think, um, I mean, again, if you pray, if you're always like really in tune with God, listening to him, listening And, um, in observing, you know, you develop a sixth sense, I think when you're running something like this and, um, and then there just comes a point, you're not going to turn back. Yeah. You just aren't going to turn back. You know, you, um, in my case, it was just time for someone else to take over, but the gal that took over is terrific
0: hmm And when we talked uh, about endow groups on the show before, we just, by way of reminder to those listening, uh, endow is a f- fantastic because it is not what we tend to think of as a church women's group. It's a group that is focused on uh, learning and, and really being immersed in the documents of the church uh, because the voice of women as it relates to the church is so important. And so they they should be grappling with the hard things. Of course, you mentioned Sister Prudence Allen, who's just a a wonderful scholar and author in her own right, that if the effort isn't put on the front side to immerse ourselves in the language of the church and in the the documents of the church and the voice of the church, then we don't have the ability to then pour out and speak for the church, right?
1: That's so true. That's so true. I would say most women who are like call themselves Catholic and they go to church on Sunday and they're either sending their kids to Catholic school or trying to teach them at home. They live the faith. They know the faith. They they know it, but they cannot express it. They, you know, I, myself, even when we started, um, we, I couldn't express it. I would be like, you know, I mean, it's just, um, like one woman came into my office one time and she wanted to know, what the church taught about um, uh, divorce for abusive reasons or something like that. Well, the church does not ever say that you need to stay in an abusive relationship ever. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we looked it up and, it, you know, I read exactly what the church is saying. And she goes, oh, I would have thought the church would have made you stay. <laughs> I was like, no, the church is not going to make you stay. Yeah. You know, there's... Um, somewhere you know and it's obviously the devil gets in there and says the church is the big punisher the church is the big no and in reality the church is the big yes and the church is the mother the church is our mother and so whenever people encounter things um that they don't particularly like or whatever obviously birth control is the big one yeah um It really makes sense to listen to the church. I mean, it really does to find out as much as you can that, no, the church doesn't want to just be in your bedroom. No, you know, that kind of stuff. Just learn. And I think anyone who takes the time to do that, honestly, will fall in love with that teaching. Mm -hmm.
0: Three of the doctors that you have here that you talk about in the book, Women of Hope, Doctors of the Church, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, and St. Hildegard of Bingen, uh, were known in some way for the way that they spoke and preached and shared the gospel and spoke in many ways for the church in their own time and place. Of course, even with St. Uh, Therese of Lisieux today, she speaks for the church for us, but okay. in her time, she largely stayed where she was. Uh, the witness of these women actively being sought out for the things that they had to say on behalf of the church, I think okay. is something that that we so desperately need to recognize today that the voice of women specifically in relaying the heart of the church and the doctrine of the church in their own specific way is so essential for all of us, both in society and in the church, to hear.
1: Yes. I mean, it definitely is. It's, I mean, uh, well, and particularly the the role that women have in the family. I mean, they have um, a huge influence on their children. They, at So it um, begins with them teaching their children, but it begins also with um, the women on the soccer team, the soccer moms, the, um, you know, I mean, in your own area of employment, in the way that you live, it's really as much as anything in just the way that you live. Uh, And if you become a bit of a curiosity, (laughs) people take notice. I mean, if you... If you don't let your kids play soccer on Sunday, I mean, something like that, you know, that we don't do that. We go to mass on Sunday, whatever. Um, you become a leader. Invariably, you become a leader because you're different. You are different and you have a higher power, uh, uh, you know, than the soccer team, that type of thing. I, I'm only using that example, but yeah. I, I, women, um, and I have known, one of the things when we first started in Dow, I'm sorry, I'm just referring back to in Dow so much, but it was where I learned most of the things that I know, um, is uh, we thought, I thought for sure that I would lose all my friends. I, I my children went to a small Catholic school here. Uh, we, my friends at that point were the other women in the school, my, my children's friends, mothers, mm-hmm. that type of thing. And when I uh, started learning about John Paul II and his writings, I was so fascinated with that. I never had heard anything like that before. But I remember thinking clearly that I'm going to lose my friends over this. Nobody thinks like this. Nobody even really wants to know that much about the church, quite frankly. And the interesting thing is I did, but I have met the most incredible women all over the world. There are many more women than you would expect who believe in a believe in the church and want to practice the church's teachings and uh want to study the documents. The documents are so beautiful that's what people don't necessarily understand when they start um studying the church's documents is how beautiful they are and um I mean, once you get into it, um anyway, it's kind of interesting because I'm currently starting the 19th annotation for, to become a spiritual um, director. And so this next year will be spent a hundred percent in biblical studies, practically, you know, Mm -hmm. and I was thinking to myself today, really, I learn as much from church documents as I do in, you know, from scripture, not, I mean, they go hand in hand, but I'm so glad I have that background because it it helps in everything that I do. Mm-hmm.
0: We're talking today with uh, Terry Polakovic, the co-founder of Endow. Uh, you can find out more about them over at endowgroups.com. But today we're talking about the book, Women of Hope, Doctors of the Church. It's available on our Sunday Visitor Press. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash Walls. On threads, the handle is at Step Outside the Walls. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We're talking today with Terry Polakovic. She's the co founder of Endow. You can find out more about Endow over at endowgroups.org. She served as the president of that organization from 2003 to 2015, and has since retired. But she is the author of the book we're talking about today, Women of Hope, Doctors of the Church. It's available over on Our Sunday Visitor. This book goes through the four women doctors of the church and gives uh, a, a bio of their lives and talks about a little bit about who they are and how we're to understand them and how we're to to learn from them as they uh, leave for us an example and rich, 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 uh, teaching I want to talk a little bit Terry about anytime that you approach a book you approach it with the knowledge the basic knowledge and the outline of what you want to to, to convey and bring across but typically within that process of preparing to write and the research uh, aspect of the book you, Become friends with your content. And of course, in this case, then, the content is these four women women—women doctors of the church. And when you become friends with a person, with a saint, with content, whatever the case is, you learn something new about them that you did not know when you started. I- was there something that pops to mind, uh, and you can pick any one of these uh, amazing women, was uh, something that pops to mind that you learned about them or one of them in the process of writing that really struck you and resonated with you and helped you to enter into a new kind of relationship with them than you had before?
1: Yes, um, with Therese Lesue. She ended up being my favorite, um, and I knew the least about her, actually. And my name is actually Therese, so you'd think I would know more. Um, But I had always thought of her, as many people do, as kind of a syrupy saint, that type of thing. I related to her right away. Um, she, her mother died when she was four. My father died when I was four. I could, uh, I mean, she knew, she wrote the book, the story of the soul. And it's because she knew her soul so well. I mean, she, I, I, I read that and it was like, how fascinating that is that you, such a young woman, young girl could know your soul. But anyway, she did. And what I didn't know about her, well, she really lived a very difficult life. I mean, you don't get that um, from all the, the pictures and the nice sayings and all that kind of stuff. She lived a very difficult life. And one of the things is, you know, she finally got accepted into the monastery after having to plead with the Pope and that type of thing. And then when she was in the monastery... They gave her the hardest tasks. She was the youngest one. They wanted to break her in a sense. And even two of her sisters were her, her blood sisters were her superiors there. But no one did. No one, in fact, she befriended a a sister, a nun, who um, was really uh, completely miserable. I mean, she was so difficult to be around. No one wanted to be around her. And yet, um, after Teres died... Um, she said, she told someone, I think she liked me the best. (laughs) And it was just like, you're kidding. But, um, what I, what surprised me the most is that she, her sisters had told her to write her life story. You know, she didn't want to do it, but they were just pressuring her to it. And, you know, the other sisters were thinking, what does she have to write? I mean, she does nothing, you know, she has nothing to offer. But she felt at the very end of her life that she needed to get it done. She needed to write the autobiography. It was written in three different parts, but she needed to finish all three parts. And uh, and she told the mother superior, you know, on her deathbed, she said, you need to have this published right away. I mean, right away, there's no time to waste. You need to have this published. And so she died. And, um, and it was published. It was sent actually what it was, it was sent to all the other caramels around the world. And then people started, you know, taking notice and that type of thing. And and then it was finally published and it like raced around the world. I mean, just went to everywhere around the world, which is so fascinating for someone who spent their whole life in the cloister, you know, that type of thing. And, um, and I, I found that so interesting. And then another thing that I found interesting, well, she even said, you know, I will be a saint and I will help you <laughs> and I will send you a rose too, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And she has, I mean, she's done that for like so many people. So many people think that she is their patron saint and that she only pays attention to them. <laughs> you know, I mean, she is just, it's just crazy, but she knew that. But I read this one, um, there was this priest called Father Miller, Fred Miller, and he had written a lot about her. And he said, when they buried her, um, there were 30 people at the funeral. When they um, dug up her body to rebury her, there were 300,000 in a mm-hmm. matter of years. There, you know, and all the popes, I mean, they they hold her constantly. And so it's just a miracle what well, God did in her life, and I guess I I took away from that, um, you know. Sometimes it's it's good to have a pain in your life. I mean, I'm not all for all pain or anything like that. But she internalized it and she used it. She knew, and that, she's another one. She was completely determined. I mean, she wanted to go to the the um, the Carmel. I mean, her sisters had joined the convent. And so she wanted to go, but it wasn't necessarily just because they were there. She knew she had a calling and she just yeah. would not give up, you know? And so um, there are just other circumstances in her life where she was on a trip to Rome and they were with on a pilgrimage for Pope Leo XIII. And he was uh, being criticized for, you know, all, all kinds of crazy things and Anyway, um, she could see, and this really rang true with me, there's a bunch of clergy on the pilgrimage, and they were just all out to have fun, you know, and it was a pilgrimage for her. And so she made up her mind that she would be the patron saint of priests. She would pray for priests always. And, you know, as far as I know, she always did, but she is the patron saint of priests. Um, She was, uh, I loved every bit of her.
0: Well, and you mentioned discouragement, and of course the book is Women of Hope, that they are providing hope for us as we face discouragement. Um, for her specifically, I, I love one aspect. We talk about the little way all the time. You hear okay. it probably in church um, that St. Therese had this little way, that she needed a little way to get to Jesus. But what I love about this is her refusal— in herself and in her prayers to accept the terms that someone else placed on her, right? There was a, a a mindset that there was a certain level of asceticism and difficulty in the spiritual life that was necessary. And rather than accepting that and being demoralized, she saw that and said, okay, that's fine, but I need a different way. I need, I need an elevator. I need yeah. an escalator. I need some little way to get to heaven that, yes. because I can't handle the big thing. And rather than Accepting someone else's terms, she said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask for new terms."
1: Yes, that's perfect. Yes, and that's why I think she's so popular. I mean, we can all do the little thing. We -hmm. can all make the little sacrifice. That type of thing, you know. Maybe we can't, you know, bring the Pope back to Rome or whatever, or Hildegard travel all over the countryside. But we can all do the little things, and we can do it many times a day. You know, man, it's just those little things that you offer to God um, for Him, for your love of Him, for a sacrifice, for whatever. She, that's her. And that's why people love her so much. And the popes love her so much. You know, I mean, not everybody is going to be this enormous saint. In fact, today is the feast of St. Ignatius of Iowa. Right. Well, you know, that's a pretty big saint, you know? Um, but not everybody's going to be St. Ignatius. So,
0: With these four women and the biographies that you've, you've put in here, um, on the other side of it, when you finished the book, when you wrapped it up and you were holding it in your hands, um, what, maybe what did you anticipate would come from this book that maybe you weren't thinking about in the beginning? What do you hope for this book today?
1: I hope that, um, the people who read it would love it. I really wanted them, I wrote it Hopefully, with the intention that you would become personal friends with these women. I wanted to also not only talk about their greatness, I wanted to talk about their struggles. And I wanted to talk about how they were perceived in the world in which they lived. And because we all live in that world in one way or another, you know, it's our choice whether we want to rise above it and become part of the solution or not. So I guess it was hard to let that book go, honestly. Um, I loved writing it. I really, really did. Um, by the time I got to Hildegard, and Hildegard did so many things. I'm only telling you a small part. I mean, you know, just a, she opened a hospital. She, um, she, you know, grew all of her own plants and herbs and that type of thing and used all those um And in a medicinal way, you know, she used them as medicine to cure people. Um, So she, you know, I I was really like after, you know, one more thing was, oh, yeah, she is known for her music. You know, and I had like all this other stuff. So I loved her. I was just exhausted with her. I think she would be (laughs) an exhausting person. But I love them all. I totally just love them all. And I wish that were for other people who would read the book.
0: So, perhaps uh, just in closing, um, we have these four women over time, a couple of different religious orders. We have the Benedictines, the two Carmelites, uh, and the Dominican. Uh, each of them are teaching us something different. Uh, but our call uh, as Catholics is this universal call to holiness, that, that we all are pursuing sainthood that sainthood is supposed to be the norm not the exception and these exceptional women help us to see that normative call to holiness in our own lives what do you see perhaps today as the most needed voice the next doctor of the church um for our time what what how do we rise to that occasion and and throw off discouragement, and pursue this call? And what does that look like for us now?
1: I think that looks like um, like a very hopeful person, a very positive person, a very can-do person. I was watching TV last night. Sometimes my husband listens to these podcasts, and I was watching him, And they were giving the Pew statistics about, like, you know, how many Catholics don't go to church anymore, how many don't believe the Eucharist or whatever, and it's like I'm over that, you know, I mean, I get sick of it, I mean, I don't even know who they're talking to, but I just want a church full of joyful people, I mean people who just love Jesus and um and want to be there and feel community and support their priest and uh you know i mean i i I expect a church. Now, after so much, that I was going to make mistakes. And at one time I didn't, I was shocked by it, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I know now that the church, the church makes mistakes, but I know it can be so much better. I, I know that it can give you joy to the depth of your being because I've seen it. I've seen it in the women who were in endow. I've seen it in myself, all the women that have come in my life. I've seen it. You know, and if i'm not in doing an endowed study, I am somehow imparting those teachings of the joy of being a woman, and so I guess that's what I would like i'd mm-hmm. like a am not a mournful church I don't want to hear about any more pew statistics. I want to hear about the priest who's leading his congregation and teaching his congregation and um And loving them, of course, loving them, and giving, you know, serving them with the sacraments.
0: As you say that, I think back to earlier in our conversation as you were talking about um, discouragement being a thing that kind of helps you know that you're on the right track. And as you're talking about these women and and your desire to see a more hopeful church, I I flashed to that thought of so often— We see the discouragement around us and we get kind of ensnared by it, like trying to walk through tall weeds. Um, And if the discouragement serves to hold us back, then then it's won, as it were. Mm -hmm. Uh, If we get so caught up with those statistics uh, and with all of the things that can be heartbreaking um, and we don't entrust our heart's to God, in the midst of that, so that we can pursue and 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 move past that discouragement then then that 's where we lose right uh, when when we see the discouragement, but we don't let it shake us from our hope, that's when the church thrives,
1: yeah, that's true, that is true, and for that reason alone, i'm happy I wrote the book because like mm-hmm. I said I was just in that place, I was just Tired from working so hard. Tired of reading about the sex abuse. Tired of this. Tired of that. Um, and I and thank God for my friend. She's mm-hmm. like, no, this is the time you should really dig in and do something. And she reminded me of this. And I just I had a ball writing it. I I loved it. And the, our Sunday visitor are the best best yeah. publishers. I just love them.
0: The book again is Women of Hope Doctors of the Church by Terry Polakovic. You can get it right now on our Sunday Visitor Press, osv.com. Uh, Terry, thank you so much for being with us today. Sure. If you missed any part of my conversation with Terry, or you want to go back and listen to it again, or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. There you can find this episode, as well as an episode that we did back in February of 2023 with Simone Riscala, who is uh, currently working with Endow Groups. And that conversation was more specifically about Endow Groups and how they operate and how you can get involved in them. If you want more to this conversation, well, I've got good news there is more to this conversation. Each and every week, we make an extra segment available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps cover the, the costs associated with putting on a radio show every week, and in gratitude, we give them a little bit extra content, a couple of extra questions for the guest, and a deeper dive into the topic. After a few months, those become available to the general public. You can listen to some of those older episodes and consider becoming a part of that continuing support community, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link to learn more. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, and so much more. You can learn more over at Verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the book of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers That reading comes from the the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians chapter 1, and there's really not a good place to to chop that verse up because Paul just writes in one big, long uh, run-on sentence. That may have uh, been—I'd have to go back and count periods—that may have been four sentences, maybe. (laughs) But I wanted to read that one specifically today because of a middle section there. And let's just go back and listen to that one small part again. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. That we may know what is the hope to which he has called us. So first of all, we are called to hope it is the vocation to which we are called as uh, as as the baptized as believers and it's so easy to get caught up into all of the other ideas of of what it means for us to live out a life of vocation but it's simply this and just as terry said earlier in the show We are called, and and the next generation of saints and the next uh, doctors of the church that will come along are going to be the hopeful ones. And, And by that, I take that to mean those who are going to live according to the vocation to which they've been called, the hope to which they've been called, and don't get distracted by all of the discouragement that tries to tempt us away from walking authentically in that call that God has given us. Our reading from Church History today comes from one of these doctors of the church that we talked about today, uh, St. Teresa of Avila, who shows us that the way to to attain that hope, to walk in that hope, is to fix our eyes on Jesus and to focus specifically on Jesus. And in this, in this uh, document today, this work from St. Teresa of Avila, we hear this, If Christ dwells in a man as his friend and noble leader, that man can endure all things. For Christ helps and strengthens us and never abandons us. He is a true friend. And I clearly see that if we expect to please him and receive an abundance of his graces, God desires that these graces must come to us from the hands of Christ, through his most sacred humanity in which God takes delight. Many, many times I have perceived this through experience. The Lord has told it to me. I have definitely seen that we must enter by this gate if we wish His Sovereign Majesty to reveal to us great and hidden mysteries. A person should desire no other path, even if he is at the summit of contemplation. On this road he walks safely. All blessings come to us through our Lord. He will teach us, for in beholding his life, we find that he is the best example. What more do we desire from such a good friend at our side? Unlike our friends in the world, he will never abandon us when we are troubled or distressed. Blessed is the one who truly loves him and always keeps him near. Let us consider the Glorious St. Paul. It seems that no other name fell from his lips than that of Jesus, because the name of Jesus was fixed and embedded in his heart. Once I had come to understand this truth, I carefully considered the lives of some of the saints, the great contemplatives, and found that they took no other path Francis, Anthony of Padua, Bernard, Catherine of Siena. A person must walk along this path in freedom placing himself in God's hands. If God should desire to raise us to the position of one who is an intimate and shares his secrets, we ought to accept this gladly. Whenever we think of Christ, we should recall the love that led him to bestow on us so many graces and favors, and also the great love God showed in giving us in Christ a pledge of his love for love calls for love in return. Let us strive to keep this always before our eyes and to rouse ourselves to love him. For if at some time the Lord should grant us the grace of impressing his love on our hearts, all will become easy for us and we shall accomplish great things quickly and without effort. That reading again comes from a work by St. Teresa of Avila. And there's a lot to say here, but the first is this. If we desire to continue in hope, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. Not on the shortcomings that we see in the world, not on all the problems that need to be fixed, but on the fact that Christ is with us. On the, on the, on the truth and the knowledge that Christ will not abandon us in the midst of our distress. And rather than looking to all the problems that need to be fixed and trying to formulate how and what to do to to bring those things to a satisfactory conclusion, we should instead turn our attention and our affection towards Jesus Christ. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look to him to, to guide us into that hope to which we are called. And rather than, it's kind of like Peter. Uh, Walking out on the waves rather than being distracted and begin to sink because of all of the turmoil around us. Turn our attention to Christ, who is steadfast, who will not abandon us, and who will guide us into that hope and guide us by the right path. It's counterintuitive, but by focusing on Him and not the problems, then the problems get solved because He empowers us to live out our vocation, which will change the world. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today's show was brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Go over to OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link to learn more. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On threads, it's also Step Outside the Walls. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.